Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Luke chapter 14, reading from verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and then reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys of the town and bring out the poor, the cripple, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. If we haven't met before, we're going to look at this passage in a moment, but let's pray again and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come before you. Thank you, God, that you are a God that loves working among your people. And so, God, we pray that whatever it is going on in our lives at the moment, whatever things are distracting our hearts or are consuming our thoughts, we pray that right now we would be able to zone in to what you're saying and that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand and that you would move among us right now. We pray for the work and the presence of your Spirit among us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So immortals aren't supposed to die. That's how many of us felt a few weeks ago when we heard about Shane Warne because he was a cricketing immortal. In fact, if you were like me growing up, he was just always there. He was the picture of summer and the feeling of safety when you would turn on your TV screen and see him playing. And if you weren't watching him on TV, you were trying to be him in the backyard. He was just always around and always there. He was a cricketing immortal. And then he retired. And he was still there in commentary. And we hated his commentary, but he had to be there because he was Shane Warne. He was larger than life. He was a cricketing immortal. And many of us still remember images of his life, the wickets he took, the celebrations. I remember where I was when he took his 700th wicket. This was Shane Warne. And this is why it messed with us a little bit when we heard about his death. A few weeks ago when he passed away in Thailand, it rocked a whole nation and really the cricketing world because people like this aren't supposed to die. That's not supposed to happen. And this week, as we saw the stuff again of his funeral this week, it was sad once again. But the thing that strikes me in the middle of these moments when a celebrity like this dies at an early age, the thing that strikes me is what it is that people say to help them through grief. Now, I'm not here to critique grief. 
You know, I think that we all grieve differently and some people in grief say things that maybe they're not even convinced of. But in the middle of this situation, lots of people were saying a line like this, despite his life, I know he's in a better place now. In fact, there was the line that came out of like, I hope he's enjoying bowling to Bradman in heaven. Now again, I'm not trying to critique grief, but at some point we actually have to ask a pretty real question. Do we know that what happens after we die is better? Is that actually true? At some point we've got to stop and think about this question. Is what comes next truly better? And how can we be sure it's going to be better? Can we have any assurance of this? And how does this affect us and transform us if we know that what's coming is better? Well, today, this is where we're going. In the final meal with Jesus, this is what we see Jesus address. This final meal, the meal that takes place in heaven. This is the passage we're looking at today in Luke chapter 14. And we see Jesus address this idea of what comes next. So if you have your Bibles there, or it'll be on the screen as well, we pick it up in verse 15 where it says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So how do we know what comes next is better? Well, you can see this is the idea that's being addressed here because one of the religious leaders gets up, raises his glass and says, blessed is the one who gets to eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, I I do love this picture throughout the Bible. One of the pictures that we get of heaven is of a feast. Isn't that just so good? Like a picture of a feast, a banquet. We love banquets. We love abundance and joy and good feasts. And throughout this series, this is what Jesus has been given. As he's, as he's going to meals with different people, he's giving a taste of the meal that will come. If you've been to a meal in hospitality month and you've experienced good food and good company and good drink and good moments, this is a taste of what's to come because one of the pictures in the Bible of what heaven will be is a banquet a place of abundance and food and joy and the good stuff associated with meals. And this religious leader gets up and he raises his glass and he says, let's drink to that. Now he's, he's right, it is good, the picture of heaven, of being a feast, it is good. But it's worth noting that this meal that Jesus is at is a little bit awkward. Right? We've we actually seen this meal before. A few weeks ago, Ross talked to us about this meal. It was the meal where Jesus upset everyone. He upset the hosts by saying, don't just invite your mates, invite sinners. And then he upset the guests by saying, stop being so proud, be humble. This meal has already been a bit awkward. There's been a bit of tension, right? And if you've ever been in that situation of like a tense meal, you know, I don't know, are you the person who tries to diffuse it with raising your glass or saying something you can all agree on, this is kind of what it feels like. You know, the religious leader is sitting back watching the tension, the awkwardness at this meal, and he goes, "Uh, let's just drink to something we can all agree on. And you can see him raising his glass, and you can see everyone else raising their glass. But if this is going to relieve the tension, if this is his move to try and make Jesus happy again, or on their side again, or forget what he was talking about, he's wrong. Because if the the meal was a little bit awkward, it's about to get a whole lot more awkward because of what Jesus says next. He responds with a parable. Now, this was Jesus' technique. A lot of the time he spoke in parables. And a parable is simply a story with a deeper meaning. That's all a parable is, a story with a deeper meaning. So let's ask this question. What is Jesus going to respond with? What does his parable mean? 
And we're going to do two things first. We're going to see, first and foremost, his story, and then we'll look at the meaning. So, so how does Jesus respond? Well, he responds with a story. In verse 16, he tells a story about a man who's putting on a feast. Now, you can kind of guess what Jesus' parable is going to be about, but he starts with a man who's throwing a feast. And he tells the people who have invited, hey, it's time for the feast. Come over to my house because the banquet's going to happen. But we see they respond with some excuses. The first guy says, I've got a field I've got to go look at. The second guy says, I've got oxen to go check out. And the third guy says, I just got married. And the missus says, if I take one more night out this week, I'm going to be in trouble. That were their excuses. They came up with excuses not to come to the banquet. Now, it's worth noting in this passage, these excuses might be good at certain moments, but they're not good excuses to miss the banquet. Okay, like we, we know this in life, that there are some excuses that hold up in some situations, but not at others, right? So think about a reception, a wedding banquet. You know, we know that socially, that's one of the highest invites that we can get, go to. It takes a big excuse to miss that. In fact, I remember a few years ago, uh, a mate of mine was 18 and he got invited to a reception. And uh, just so happened, we were talking in the week and he said, I'm going to go to the wedding, but I probably won't go to the reception because I've got to work early the next morning. And I said to him, that's not how this works. That excuse might hold up for a, you know, a casual you know, night watching the footy, but that doesn't hold up for a reception. We know socially for a reception, you've got you to gotta go. Not many excuses for that. This is the situation here. The banquet this man's inviting him to, not many excuses hold up, and these ones don't, right? So you think about it. I've got to go check on the field. Let's do that tomorrow. I've got to go check on the oxen. Again, you can do that tomorrow. I've just got married. This is one of those situations. You just deal with the conflict, and then you say, sorry, we'll sort that out tomorrow. Their excuses are bad excuses. But that's their excuses. They don't want to go. So they don't accept the invitation. So what happens to the party? Does the party stop? Is the party postponed? Well, Jesus goes on and he says, no, the party must continue. The party goes on. It just happens with different guests. So the, these guys ignore the invite. And then what happens? Well, the servant comes back. And we see this. The servant tells the master that they had excuses. And then we see this in verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, again, let's just feel this for a moment. Wedding reception. Maybe if you've been married, your wedding reception. And on the morning, you get the phone call saying that the people you invited can't come because they've got to go check on some oxen. And so instead of coming to the reception, what do you do? Well, you fill up the party with homeless people. That's the confronting nature of this picture, right? People who aren't dressed for a wedding, people who, aren't, who don't smell right, who don't look right, who have baggage and hurt, people who are far from God, outcasts of society, they're invited to this banquet. This is a confronting picture. But the people who were invited first, they don't come, but the party must go on. It just goes on with different guests. And so the outcasts come to the party. They get to sit at the meal, but we find out there's more room. Verse 22, he says, this has been done, but there's still more spots at the table. And then verse 23, the master told his servant, go out to the, to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. 
The outcasts are brought in, but it's not just the outcasts of the community. It's the outcasts outside of the walls of, of this wall. Go to the roads and the country lanes. Go everywhere because there's spots at this party compel them to come in. You see, ignoring the invitation doesn't mean that the party stops. It just means that you miss out on the party. The party goes on, it just goes on with different people. Outcasts, outsiders, people far away, people broken, people outside, people you'd never expect to sit at the banquet. But those who rejected the invite, well, they miss out. In verse 24, Jesus says that those who rejected, none of those who were invited, who rejected the invite, will taste my banquet. So this is the parable. This is the story. It's a story about a man who throws a party and how those who accepted the invite get to go to the party and those who reject the invite don't. How the party is full of outsiders, outcasts, those far away. Now that's the parable. And the question is, what does the parable mean? If a parable is a story with a deeper meaning, what is the meaning of this? Well, so often in Jesus' teaching, the meanings of parables is often given away by the context in which they come. And this context really matters. Jesus is at a, a meal with religious leaders. That matters. The context is a religious leader gets up and raises his glass and says, Blessed are those who eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. Context here is really important. And really, this is what gives away the meaning to this parable. So let's go into the meaning. The man who throws the party is God. God is throwing the feast. And the feast we're speaking about is the, the meal in heaven. That's the context here. And he invites some people to the meal to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God in heaven. But the first people who are invited don't accept the invitation. They reject it. Now, who are those people? Well, it's the religious leaders. It's those sitting around the table. This is why it's a little bit more awkward. Jesus turns the tension up. The religious leaders are those who are first invited. And they're the ones who are first invited because if you think about it, in the ancient world, who is it that get to go to be in the kingdom of God first? Right? We'd often think the first people to the kingdom of God are the religious leaders, the ones who've studied this, who dress right, who look right, who do everything appearing to be right. They're the first ones who get to go into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says they're not because they're rejecting the invitation. Now, how are they rejecting the invitation? Especially if they're raising their glass saying, well, blessed is the one who eats there. They're insinuating they're going to be there. So how are they rejecting the invitation? Well, it's because they're rejecting Jesus. You see, right throughout the meals, we've seen how Jesus is the one who's come to seek and save the lost. Right throughout the Bible, we see the only way to get to heaven is by trusting and accepting Jesus and Him alone. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other name that can be saved, no other religion, no other God, no other work. Right? It's not about being good enough. No religious deeds can get you to heaven. It's not about wearing the right clothes or having the right gender or being of the right class. There is nothing people can do to get to heaven. The only thing is by accepting and trusting Jesus who has done it all. This is the only way to heaven. And the religious leaders miss this because they reject Jesus. You see, if you reject Jesus, it doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how your past has been. It doesn't matter what you're wearing or what you're doing or what you're paying or how much you're praying. If you reject Jesus, you won't get to sit at the seat, the feast in the kingdom of, of God. 
Accepting Jesus is accepting the invitation. Rejecting Jesus is to reject the invitation. And these religious leaders, they reject Jesus. They come up with excuses. It might be financial excuses like checking on a field or a bunch of oxen. It might be family excuses like marriage. It might be other excuses. They don't like Jesus. They don't like his teaching. They don't like what he's doing. They like their position in society. But whatever their excuses are, they reject Jesus. So what happens? What happens to the party? Well, the party goes on. Right? The party doesn't stop because a few people reject the invitation to the party. The party goes on. But we see the party goes on with just different people. And the people that the party goes on for is the outcasts. Right now, again, this is the confronting bit of this parable. It's the outsiders. It's the ones you wouldn't expect. You see, if you think, who makes it into heaven? You would expect it's the religious leaders, the ones wearing the right clothes, doing the right things. But it's not. The ones who get into the kingdom of God are the outcasts. Those pushed out, those pushed down in society, those who have a past, a history they're ashamed of. Those who aren't, who don't look like they've got it all together. Those people with baggage and pain and hurt, they are the people who are invited to the banquet of God. Now, I love this picture because this is a picture of what church should be like. You know, if you came today to church thinking you've got to have it all together, you don't. Church is a place for people who don't have it all together. People are gathered here this morning who have baggage, who are carrying burdens, who have pain and shame that we want to keep in our past, but we gather because we accept and trust in Jesus. The party goes on, it just goes on with the outcasts, with those far away from God. And it's not just the outcasts, it's those far away as well. Right, this is the picture here. So the picture is go to the outcasts of society and then get on the roads and the country lanes and go everywhere and compel them to come in. The party needs to be filled up. God wants a full house for a full party. And so he says to the servant, just go everywhere. And this is why the message of Jesus spread right throughout the world. It went from Jerusalem right to the ends of the earth because God wanted to fill up his house. God wants to fill up this party. But those who reject Jesus, well, they don't get to come in. And this is what he was saying at the end there. If you see the invitation and you reject the invitation, then you will miss out. This is the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable is God is inviting people to sit at the banquet of heaven. If you accept Jesus, you get to be there. And if you don't, then you won't. You miss out. Now, as we think about it, we want to think about not just what does it mean, the parable, but what does it mean for me? Right? What does it mean for us as we think about this 2,000 years later from this meal? What does it look like for us? Well, today we're going to think about two things that it means for us. Number one, the first thing that this means for us is we've got to accept the invitation. This is the first thing it means for us. As we see this reality of what God is saying, God is a God who invites us in. He is a God who longs for us to take the invitation so that we can enter into the relationship with Him, have forgiveness of our sins, and know that we've got a seat at the banquet of God. This is God's heart towards us. But you see, God is not just interested in what we do, but when we do it. And throughout the Bible, we see the time to accept the invitation is now. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter six, verse six, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, 
6 verse 2, sorry, it says this, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And what Paul, the author, is writing about how is the time to accept Jesus is not tomorrow, but today. Now, this is important because we don't know what happens tomorrow. Right? I mean, hasn't the last two years just taught us that we don't know what happens tomorrow? Ross has prayed a bunch of prayers of big things going on. We have no idea how that's going to play out tomorrow. This is why it's so important to accept Jesus today. Now is the day of God's favor. But, but in this parable, there's another reason we accept Jesus today. And it's because of the heart of God. You see, God loves you. He made you. And he longs for you to accept this invitation today. This parable invites us to see God's side of the story. You know, so, so often when we're thinking about our journey with Jesus, often we're just thinking about us and not what God thinks or cares about. And in this parable, this man shows us that when people reject the invitation, it stings. Now we know that, right? And I know God's a little bit different to us, but we know this feeling. You know, if you've ever had that feeling where you've invited people over, it's because you love them, you want them to come over. When they reject you, it hurts because the relationships broke down. In fact, a few years ago, I remember throwing a party. It was, um, we had organized uh, a couple of months out to throw this party and a couple of mates of mine didn't RSVP and then they didn't come. And I found out halfway through the party, they didn't come because that day they decided they'd go fishing. I love fishing, but that stung a little bit because of the relational breakdown. I wanted them there. They were my mates. They, I cared for them, but they didn't come. This parable is inviting us to see God's heart. When the people reject God, they are rejecting Him. It's not just re rejecting the stuff that He gives. We're rejecting the person of God. We are rejecting the God of the universe. And so I wonder if you've considered this as you think about the invitation that God has for you to follow him, to accept Jesus. Have you considered that God loves you, he made you, and he wants you to, to enter into this relationship with him where you have joy now and assurance into the future? You see, now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We don't know what comes tomorrow. God longs for us now. Now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So as we see this, I want to invite you to accept this invitation. If you've never accepted the invitation before, I want to invite you to accept the invitation to follow Jesus and accept Jesus. To make sure that you know what happens after you die is truly better. At the end of the service, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. You can just pray with me this simple prayer, and it's really simple. Accepting Jesus, it's really simple. All we do is inwardly, we accept Him, and then we tell someone about that. That's all it means. It, inwardly, we accept Him, and then outwardly, we tell people about that. That's the first step to accept the invitation. So as we see the parable, the first thing it means for us is to accept the invitation. The second thing, though, is to give the invitation. I don't know, did you notice the language of the servant? To the servant in this parable when the servant comes back and says they didn't take the invitation did you notice how the man responded to him he didn't say oh that that sucks that your friends didn't accept the invitation give up he didn't say that and he didn't say okay stop going after people in your life no did you did you notice what he said he said go quickly compel them to come in because there are seats at the party 
You know, right throughout this series, we've been talking about how, as a church, we are driven into our world because of the spiritual realities around us. That people are in danger, they are lost, and we want them to be found. We talk a lot at Southside that we are a lifeboat, and we want people to get on the lifeboat. But we're not just driven by the dangers of hell, we're driven by the beauty of heaven. You see, this parable speaks about the beauty of heaven, the beauty of the party. In fact, Revelation speaks about a wedding banquet. That's the picture of what it's going to be, where it's full of abundance and joy, and it's going to be the best thing ever. And Revelation speaks about how there's going to be no sin and no sickness and no suffering where God himself is going to wipe away the tears from our eye. It's going to be the best thing ever that's going to make your best experiences in life look like child's play compared to how good this thing is going to be. There is a party in heaven that's going to be so good. And do you see what this parable is saying? There's spots free, right? Feel the way that there's, there's room at the table. So go quickly and compel them to come in. Now, what I love about this is that God doesn't leave us on our own in this. He works in us and through us as we go and tell people about Jesus. And it's the best thing ever when we get to see people come to faith. So I want to tell you a story about someone. His name's Cole. And Cole said that I could tell this story this morning. Cole's been coming to Alpha in the last couple of terms. And Cole is a guy who in the last year has been going through some of the most challenging seasons of his life. Such difficulty and rawness there. And Cole's in his mid-60s and he lives at the Gold Coast. And yet God's doing something there. So at the start of last term, we had Alpha, James and Chrissy, one of the couples from our church, had him over. And there's kind of this feeling, he's mid-60s, he lives at the Gold Coast, he's not going to come. But they stepped into it, and they had him over for a meal, and good things happen at meals, and they gave him a flyer to Alpha, and to their surprise, he said yes. And he came. And then week four came along of Alpha, which is the moment where we invite people to put their trust in Jesus. And after the bit, James said to Cole, on a scale of one to ten, how likely were you to pray that prayer this morning? And Cole said, I already did. I've already accepted Jesus. Now, Cole's been coming to Alpha since, and he came back this term, and on Tuesday night that just went, Cole was sharing with me that his whole life, he's been with people. He's had someone in his home, or he's been around people. But for the first time in life, he's all by himself, and yet the joy of Jesus is surrounding him. He loves coming to Alpha. He said that's his highlight of the week. And he's going to hook into a church in, in the Gold Coast in the next couple of weeks. He's got a meeting with a pastor down there this week. And God is clearly bringing him in. Our church is obviously a little bit too far away from him. But he's hooking into church. And when you see this, right, a guy, let, just spell that, a guy in his mid-60s, never followed Jesus before in this kind of way, came to Christ and Jesus is changing his life. But you see, it's not just joy now. Now we know there's assurance later. Now we know that when he dies, we can be confident that he's got a seat at the table and it's truly better. There are not many better things in this world than being a part of someone coming to faith. And this is what God is inviting us to. You see, as a church, we're not just driven by the dangers of what's going on around us. We're driven by the joys of the banquet. 
And there's this reality that our friends and our family and our neighbors and our colleagues and the people we study with, they are missing out on the best thing ever. But you see this, there is a party that's going to happen and it's going to be the best thing ever. And our God says there's spots available. So go quickly, compel them to come in. Now this morning we're going to pray and we're going to pray first and foremost to put our trust in Jesus. And if you've never done that this morning, I want to encourage you to pray these words after me. And then after that, I'm going to pray that God would give us the boldness and the courage and the joy to go into our community. So let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you want to pray this prayer after me, then repeat these words inwardly in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that you invite me in to accept and trust Jesus. God, I want to do that this morning. I want to trust in you. Please help me to do that. Heavenly Father, we also want to pray for us as a church as we go into our community. As we go into our families, our neighborhoods, as we go, Lord, we pray that we would be driven by the joy of the banquet. Jesus, we know that one day we will sit and experience the greatest thing ever. Eating and drinking with your people and with you, and it's going to be so good. We pray that you would help us see that there are spots free. And that we may, as a church, go quickly and compel people to come in despite the fact that maybe people we've invited before have said no despite the fact that we're scared despite the fact that it's difficult we pray that you would give us the joy to do this and we pray it in jesus name amen